Today's sales leaders face a difficult task, selling the right products at the right time through the right channels. A new three-day program from Harvard Business School Executive Education addresses this problem directly. Join us on the Boston campus in August for Managing Sales Teams and Distribution Channels, where you will discover strategies that can lead to the best sales performance. Learn more by clicking the banner or visiting hbs.me sales. That's hbs.me sales. Hey guys, Alex here, ajnashville.com. Thank you so much for tuning in this podcast. As a lot of you saw yesterday, uh, this is going to be the continuation of the story of my life, episode three. Most of you already know what this episode is going to be about. Um, I want to touch base on a couple of notes that I took last night, some things that I wrote down. First of all, I want to thank the whole group, everybody that responded to the post itself. I want to thank you for your support. In addition to that, I want to thank the people that reached out to me in private messages and supported me and shared their story with me. You guys are the reason why I'm doing this. You guys are the reason why I'm sharing my story. Hopefully to come one day to hopefully help somebody, to hopefully change somebody's life, to hopefully reach out to a person and maybe save theirs. So one of the first things I want to touch on, a good friend of mine sent me a message yesterday. Um, A lot of you that haven't been in the military before, I myself have not, but I'm familiar with a lot of the military terms from doing a lot with veterans. One of the things he told me is, in his eyes, I was courageous. I was a person that he looked up to, that I was one of the men besides his grandpa that he greatly had respect for. You have no idea what those words meant to me. In addition to that, there's something called Valhalla. And what that is, it's a place where warriors go after they die. It's a place where warriors continue to fight, but they're always replenished. They never have to worry about their scars, their battle wounds, or anything carrying on to the next day. They always eat, and when they eat, they eat great. It's a place where typically your military, your Vikings, your uh, warriors, they go, and they band together. And one of the things he said to me is, I'll see you in Valhalla because I know you'll be there. Having not served, you have no idea what those words meant to me. His reasoning behind that is because I take the time to serve people who have served, which those words in themselves mean a great deal. I do want to touch on the fact that last night, today, this afternoon, definitely weren't the easiest days I've ever come across. You know, today was extremely stressful. I would have hated to be in a person around me, including Jeff, because I was just an asshole today. Um, I have a history of dealing with my emotions and anger. And that's how I've always done it. And so that's how I did it today. And I was very irritable. I didn't really take things out on people. But I was definitely irritated and felt like I was running out of time. I actually dreaded doing this podcast. Those of you that have been through something traumatic in your life know how it feels to know that you're going to revisit something. Something that you've tucked away and that you've buried and you're going to come back and unbury it and untuck it and face the face of it again I want to touch on another thing that's the word survivor survivor is a word that's typically used to describe a person that's been through a traumatic event hey Bill he had cancer he lived through it he was a survivor hey John Doe he was raped he lived through it he was a survivor to me a survivor is a word that should be used for people that go through something and then recover from it. 
and never have to deal with it again. The memory may always be there, but they never have to fight the emotional fight that they fought once before. To me, the people that have survived through physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, verbal abuse, those people are warriors. Those people are the people that fight a fight every day. You call somebody an asshole enough times for long enough, and eventually they'll believe they're an asshole. And over time, their mind may change. But you call them an asshole again, and that battle comes back into play. And the warrior inside of them has to fight that battle and make sure they don't react to the person that's just joking the same way that they reacted to the person that was dead serious. So to me, I don't think we're survivors. We're warriors that fight this fight that decided that this was a fight that wasn't going to take us, that this was a fight that we weren't going to lose. A friend of mine said yesterday, lifetime doesn't have shit on us. You have no idea what those words mean. Knowing the things that she went through, knowing the things that I've been through, she's right. This life doesn't have shit on us because we're still fighting. I've been through some of the most traumatic things that a person will see. Some of you hear this story and you think, man, how did he live through that? How did he make it? He's a strong person. Oh, I feel bad for him. You haven't even heard an eighth of what I've been through in life. But see, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. What I want, what I want you to do is to pass this message to somebody that it may help. Somebody that may be going through a similar situation that maybe they're just starting their fight. And they need to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Because as bystanders... We see it and think, oh, you'll make it. It's okay. But you don't know the struggle and the battle that we go through inside. My goal with this is not to glamorize, not to gain notoriety from my story, to gain fortune, to gain fame, any of that. The fortune I want to gain is knowing that I help somebody. Knowing that somebody listened to my story and was able to move past and move on and cope and deal and fight their fight. That's what's important to me. So, here we go. So the start of this all happened around the time that the troops were coming back from the Persian Gulf War. Everybody was celebrating. I was in an area where I was surrounded by military bases. March Air Force Base, 29 Palms, Camp Pendleton, All the great, huge military bases had all their warriors coming back. I remember being at some of the parades, seeing heroes drive down the road in tanks, in Humvees, seeing people that had served and seen things I can never think of seeing come back to their families, hug their kids, see their wives. During this time, my mom was still young. I would say no older than maybe 30 tops. I know how it feels to be 30, but I don't know how it feels to be 30 with a kid, to have some of the things happen and some of the freedoms taken from you that you could have otherwise enjoyed. Naturally, my mom being an attractive woman associated with quite a few different people that had come back from the war. One of those people being a person that became a family friend, a person that was entrusted to be around the family, a person that was entrusted to hang out without supervision, a person that was entrusted to 
watch both myself and another family member without any second question, without any supervision. And this was at no fault to my mother. Who would think that somebody would ever do the things that this person did? You know. Anyways, this person happened to be an airman. It was a male. And like I said in my post yesterday, there's no scarier feeling than feeling the fact that you suddenly believe or think that you're gay because you've been sexually assaulted by a male. I have gay friends. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not a choice that I make. But identifying as something that you're not is a choice that I didn't get to make. So I want to start with one of the stories that I remember, and that was this family member and I went to this person's barracks. This person had a room to themselves, but shared a bathroom with another adjoining dorm, I guess you would call it. Um, I remember one of the big things as he would sit there and play with myself and play with this other family member and force us to play with each other. One of the excuses we would make is, I've got to go to the bathroom. That was one of the things we would say to try to get away from the situation because we knew the situation wasn't right. He would then come over, push down on our bladders and say, your bladder's not full, you don't have to go to the bathroom. You're not going to go to the bathroom until your bladder's full. And so that's what we did. I mean, we had no other option. You know, you sat there and prayed that whatever you drank was enough to where your bladder would fill up so you can get a break. That's how I felt, at least. I was forced to play with my cousin, forced to do things that I didn't wish to do. He then, um, at this same time, put my penis in his mouth, played with me. Mind you, at this, this age, I was less than, I would say I was right around 10 to 12 years old. I can't remember exactly because I haven't taken the time to walk back down that path to remember specific details. He never forced us to, to do anything with him except watch when he would masturbate he would watch us, tell us to do things, tell us to play with each other's genitals. Basically do whatever it was that he told us to do with the threat that if we told anybody, we would be the ones getting in trouble. Because what we were doing was looked down upon. We were faggots. And if people found out we were faggots, we'd be in trouble. And it seems that a person would know better than that. But at a young age, being impressionable, not knowing the difference, not having a positive male role model in my life besides my grandpa, it's very difficult to see through that cloud and understand. Most of all, all I wanted when I was young is to be accepted because I was always hated by the men in my life because I grew up without a father. Because the one that served as a father was abusive towards me. So the only thing I wanted was to be accepted, so I went along with it because I thought that I would gain acceptance. Because I respected the people in the military, because I respected those who served. I just never knew the difference between right and wrong. 
there was a lot of times we'd go places, you know, he would take us around base. We'd get to see the airplanes, get to see things that most kids didn't get to see. And that was always the treat. You know, hey, I'll take you guys, show you this airplane, you know. I'll take you guys and show you this this piece of machinery, whatever it may be. There was always something that he would take us and show us. It will always end in the same thing. Touching inappropriately. Having him masturbate in front of us him making us masturbate each other masturbate ourselves you know at that age when you finish I can't even think of the word right now I'm sorry my mind's just flooded with thoughts but when you finish there's there's nothing there you know and you don't really understand that when you're young I remember just being confused not knowing what what was right what was wrong knowing that I wanted to go out and see the next thing but knowing that I didn't want to go out with that person and be victimized again when I was growing up I wanted to be a pilot my favorite movie was Top Gun I wanted to fly F-14s, F-15s F-16s And so the appeal to go see these airplanes and everything else was always something that was major to me. I always wanted to do it. I always wanted to go out. So I stuck with it. You know, and like I said before, I always thought that it was something I was doing wrong anyways. Why not? Because every other situation before that was something I was doing wrong, right? Every other situation before that was me being stupid. I was the bitch. I was the dumbass. If you listen to my episode before, you know those were religious words around my house. They were words that were spoken on a day-to-day basis and always directed towards me. I was done being the dumbass. I was done being the bitch. One of the other events I remember, we went to Yucaipa Park. Most of you may or may not know of Yucaipa. It's in Southern California. It's a park that has a couple lakes on it. Nice little RV camping spot, a place to swim, have a good time, a great place to take, boys. So my mom approved of us going over the weekend. We hung out. The one thing that stands out, and I don't know why this stands out in my head, he drove a, what to me now is an old Ford, but I'm sure during the time it wasn't, with the white camper shell on the back of it. And I remember in the daytime, we'd have a good time. He'd watch us change swimsuits, take showers with us. But at night, we'd sleep in the back of the truck. And that's when everything would take place again. That's when we would be forced to touch his penis. He'd put his mouth on ours. We wouldn't be able to get out of the back of the truck even if we had to pee, we had to pee out of the back. You didn't. You weren't allowed out of the truck. Three males sleeping together in a sleeping bag in the back of this truck with non-stop touching, feeling. I mean, I can't tell you as a 12-year-old how many times I ejaculated. And I don't mean that in a, a form of pleasure pride 
I mean, it was just nonstop. The whole time we were there, I couldn't wait to get home. Pretty soon, I didn't want to go with him anymore. Especially after that night. That's something that my mom started to take notice of. She started to take notice of the fact that I didn't want to go. When I used to love to go, I stopped wanting to go. That night was a tipping stone for me. That night I started to understand that things weren't right. That what was going on wasn't acceptable. That what was going on was wrong. I talked it over with this other family member. I've already slipped up once. Most of you heard the fact that this person was my cousin, but I talked it over and he didn't think it was right either. So the next time we were asked if we wanted to go do something, we both said no. And my mom wondered why. And we said we just didn't want to go. That he touched us in places we didn't want to be touched. Naturally, the first question was, what do you mean? That's when the discussion became serious. That's when it went from, why don't you want to go? Mom wants to go hang out and do things with her friends. There's a reason why you guys don't want to go. Stop being babies and go. To, okay, what's really going on? I remember the police getting involved. Here's the difference. When it happens on a military base, it's not just the police. So he was arrested by the special police, which is the Air Force's version of a police department. They're called SPs. I met with a major and a colonel from JAG. They then had us basically depict everything that went on. Write it down, talk about it. They wanted to know all the details. They soon found out that we weren't the only people. That he had traveled to other military bases and done the same thing. By my cousin and I speaking out about this, other people decided it was their time to speak as well. I remember meeting with these, this major and this colonel in a private hotel room. I was young. I didn't know the difference. I mean, it, was, it seemed weird, but it was almost, you know, it, it was one of those things that we met them there off base to discuss everything. It wasn't that we weren't allowed on base or anything like that. It was just a private place where we wouldn't be harassed. I remember sitting in counselor's office with dolls and having to point out where I was touched, where my cousin was touched, where he forced us to touch each other to recount how many times. The discovery of something like this is never easy. Some of the toughest times I've ever been through. Having to go through and discuss the different things that happened. Having to write them down, having to repeat them over and over, having to be questioned over and over and over 
about the same things. But knowing the person that heard us was now behind bars. Not just in a regular jail, a military jail. So I remember one of the times that we had to talk. We were videotaped individually. We didn't have to go to a courtroom. We were simply videotaped. And I remember my mom, one of the times, getting in trouble because she attempted to visit him. And when she did, they found a razor blade and a knife on her. Obviously, she wanted to avenge what happened to her kids. And honestly, as a parent, I couldn't imagine feeling what she felt. imagine going through the things she went through when she went through them obviously I didn't know the difference then I just knew that things weren't right now I do as a parent I understand exactly what it would feel like to have something happen to your children I have a lot of respect to the two people that the military had that took care of us, that walked us through this. I remember after he was found guilty, sentenced, I couldn't even tell you what his sentence was. Honestly, I looked today and I tried to find some record of it and couldn't. Which is unusual because usually I can find records on anybody. But those Southern Californiers that know, we went to a place called Round Table Pizza and had a big pizza party, survivor's party, whatever you want to call it. I remember being excited knowing that it was over knowing that we were done these two people were heroes to me at least they saved me from ever being hurt again from this person and I remember them giving us me and my cousin little medals because we were so courageous. Clearly, this is something I'd never wish on anybody. 
I remember going through this, having to deal with the counseling afterwards, talking about it over and over again. I just wanted to put it out of my mind. That's the way I learned to deal with things. Just lock it out, move on, never talk about it, never think about it. Deal with it with anger, lash out with anger. That was always the easiest thing to do. That was the way I handled things. Shortly thereafter, my cousin and his mom moved. They moved to Iowa. My mom and I remained in California. The grandpa that once stood as a male figure in my life was also gone. He moved to Virginia. So I was left there to deal with the counseling, which the military graciously paid for. And I unraveled this by myself. Which eventually led to more anger problems. More lashing out. More suicide attempts. Last thing I wanted to do was live at this point. But looking back, I'm glad that I did. Because now, I have a story to tell. I have a purpose. See, because now I'm reaching the levels of success that most people in this situation may never reach or never thought they would reach, I should say. Because when you're down in that hole, you don't see anything but dirt. You don't see light. You don't see sunshine. You don't see great things. You don't even see yourself as a great person. But the truth of it all is it's not your fault. This didn't happen because of you. This didn't happen because you were bad or you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. This happened because a sick individual chose to take advantage of me. Because a person that was far smarter than me decided to manipulate me and use me as his pawn. Now as an adult looking back, I know I'm not gay, which is something that troubled me through so much and for so long. I know it's not me. I know I shouldn't be ashamed. A lot of you said, Alex, you're courageous. You're brave for standing up. And I don't disagree with you that it takes a brave person to stand up when something like this has happened. But if I don't stand up, then somebody else could go through it all and could have been stopped by simply listening to this. Somebody else that's fallen victim to somebody that's manipulated and lied to them and taken advantage of them may feel like there's no hope when there is. See, I've walked through the shit stools and the, the horrible situations and went through this and survived found the strength and carried it throughout my life remember when I said there was a difference between a survivor and a warrior the survivor lives through the situation and never forgets a warrior battles the situation over and over and over again 
and is prepared for battle any time it comes up. One thing that continued to resonate to me throughout the night, had a rough time sleeping last night, but one thing that kept passing in my head was when you look somebody in the eye and you call them a name, you call them a faggot, you call them a bitch, you call them a slut. Whatever it is that you choose to call them, you don't know what lies behind those eyes. On the surface, you see blue, you see brown, you see green, you see color. But behind those eyes is a brain that tucks back a memory far stronger than any of us know. That's probably dealt with more than half of us are prepared to deal with. So next time you get ready to call somebody a name, stop and think about that. I'm not saying be gentle with everybody's feelings and avoid expressing your own. But what I am saying is be considerate and think of what other people may have gone through because you never know somebody's past. Some of the people that reached out to me yesterday, I would have had no earthly clue that they had been through some of the things that they had gone through. I would have never guessed some of their stories knowing them as I'm growing up. I would have never guessed what went on at home while they went to school every day on the surface thinking their life is normal. Nobody would have ever guessed that I've been through what I've been through. For 36 years, I've successfully, I'm sorry, not 36 years, but two and a half decades at least, I've successfully hidden the secret from just about everybody in my life. Very few people even know bits of this story, let alone the bits I just shared with you. Those of you listening to this, this is the first time I've voiced this to anybody. Period. No best friends, no girlfriends, no one in the past has ever heard these stories in the depth that you just heard them. And I didn't even go all the way through because it hurts too bad to still dig down. Even though I want to help people, I know in the back of my mind that some things are better left buried. That a story can be told without every chapter being covered and you still get the picture. Hopefully those of you that listen to this share this with somebody. Somebody that this may help. Somebody that would benefit from hearing this. I have nothing to hide. I'm 36 years old. I have two beautiful children. I have a successful career with a great company. And if you don't like me for what's happened in my past, you can go fuck yourself. Because I can care less. I know where I've been. I know where I'm headed. My only intention is to change the lives of others. The worst thing about it, this still isn't the worst of it. We're just now getting into the depths of the things that have happened to me, that I've grown beyond, that have molded me into being the man that I am today. By the time you guys hear this, there'll be plenty of outtakes, 
plenty of times where I had to stop and pause to keep myself from breaking down. Those of you that know me personally know I have a very hard outside shell. That's the way I was always, or that's the way I always reacted to things. That's the way I always dealt with things. Hard on the outside. Never let anybody know what would what was hurting me. Teacher said it best one time. He said, when I get angry, my eyelids would drop down almost like shields covering my past. And then I would go into an angry session, taking it out on those around me. And even though at the time I thought he didn't know what the hell he was talking about, because I was a teenager, I knew what I was doing. He didn't know anything. I look back now and he (laughs) can be more right. The eyes drop. It hides the hurt. And you deal with the beast. For years, that's how I dealt with things. So if you're listening to this, maybe you've been through something similar. Maybe you know somebody that has. Talk to somebody about it. You don't have to share your story with the public, but share it with somebody that cares. Because you're not alone. I can promise you that the dozen or so people that sent me messages yesterday also felt the feelings that I felt and the feelings that you felt. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You are a warrior. If you have the strength to make it through something like this, think about what that strength prepares you to deal with in life that nobody else can handle. Think about what you could do with that strength to overcome the obstacles that most people can't take in the future. Take this as a lesson. You can go through some of the things I've been through and still turn out okay. Anyways, guys, I'm going to go ahead and cut this. Not really short, but I'm done rambling your ear off. Until next week, thanks so much for tuning in. Feel free to send me a private message if you have any questions. If there's something you want to share, if there's something I can help you with. See, my goal to success and to be monetarily successful is one thing. But my mission on this earth is to help people. And that's where I'll gain my riches. So if there's something I can do to help you or somebody you know, by all means, message me. Or send me an email at aj at ajnashville.com. Thanks for tuning in. Advancements in technology, shifting markets, and the gig economy are changing the nature of work. With this in mind, Harvard Business School Executive Education is launching a new program on managing the future of work. Based on the latest research into the forces reshaping workforce demographics, this program is designed to help employers remain competitive by thinking strategically about today's evolving business landscape. Learn more by clicking the banner or visiting hbs.me slash future. That's hbs.me slash future.